Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20 is where we're going to cover tonight. It says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Now, folks, even though this was a situation that was connected with Jewish practices and traditions, my desire is that you'll see that some of not, if not all of this type of wrong mindset that the Jews had has carried over into the church today. So we're going to study what was going on here, but allow God to speak to us and prepare your heart for what God's going to be showing us. Because that same sinful mindset that the Jews had, we're just, we're human, just as human as them, and we have to be careful. Now, if we've been doing, what we're going to do is look at the other Gospels to get a fuller picture of what happened in this story. In this story, there's only two Gospels that actually cover it. It's Matthew and Mark. So go with me to Mark chapter 7 and look at verses 1 through 23. Once again, you'll see Mark brings out a little bit more. In Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, it says, Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, this is to Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, with hands that were defiled, that is, sorry, with, from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men." You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, 
then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition and that, that you have handed down, and you do many such things. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and, the, and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And all these things come from within, and they defile a person. Now go back to Matthew chapter 15. It's been pointed out in Mark's account as well. But I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus is in Galilee. But this group of Pharisees and scribes is from where? They're from Jerusalem. Now, there are Pharisees in Galilee, but this group of Pharisees and scribes are coming from Jerusalem. Now, you've got to keep in mind, first off, that Jesus had been staying away from Jerusalem. He'd been staying away from Judea for most of his ministry. He would only go back into Jerusalem or Judea area when the father told him to. But most of the time, it was during the time of the feasts to fulfill the laws and the times that they had to go for the feasts. Go back to Matthew chapter 4. Let me remind you of what we looked at a while back in our study. In Matthew 4, look at verses 11 through 16. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And then it says, And when he heard... This is Jesus that John had had been arrested. He withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light. Has dawned. So here we see the prophecy said that he was going to be doing his work in Galilee. Go to John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, look at verse 1. We'll see another reason why he stays away. Not just because the prophecy said that he would. But in John chapter 7, look at verse 1. It says, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So here we see that one of the reasons why he stayed out of Judea and out of Jerusalem is the Jews were trying to kill him whenever he got there. As you remember, back during the time as he's heading back to go to the cross, as he goes back to Jerusalem to go raise Lazarus from the dead, remember his disciples say, don't you remember last time we went there, they tried to kill you? And he said, it's okay, let's just head on back now. So Jesus is spending most of his time in Galilee. But the Pharisees and the scribes are coming from Jerusalem up into Galilee any idea why they want to be there? They want to catch him. They want to prove him or to be false or to find fault with him. Now, in this instance, though, they try to accuse him of being a bad teacher by accusing his disciples of breaking the tradition of the elders and thereby subtly accusing him of teaching them that it was OK to break the laws that the Pharisees and the scribes had written. You see, when you see the word scribe in the Bible, first off, that's a Pharisee. The, the, the scribes came from the Pharisees. 
But they were the lawyers, if you will. They were the lawyers of the Pharisees, and they were the ones who had actually written most of these oral traditions or the, the teaching of the elders. Now, for some of you who don't know what I'm talking about, let me just catch you up. The tradition of the elders or the teaching of the elders was a group of extra biblical laws that had been made by the Pharisees, and they didn't really even begin until after the Babylonian captivity. Now, when I say extra biblical, what I mean by that is this. What the elders taught wasn't in the Bible. They took truths from the Bible and then with their human wisdom made extra laws in order to win the, the, the Old Testament would say honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. They would make extra laws to tell you how to keep it holy. And they made all these traditions and commandments that they made. And by the way, if you ever took the time to read it, the book's called the Mishnah. It wasn't until about the second century that it was actually all these oral traditions had been written down. And it's a book called the Mishnah. And it's full of all these extra hundreds of laws that the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, made. Now, the law of Moses, God's law, had no requirements for hand washing except for the priests who had to wash before eating the holy offerings. I'm going to show that to you. Go to Le Leviticus chapter 22. I want you to see that even though they had this tradition of the elders about hand washing before they were to eat, there was no such law in the, in the word of God. There is a law in the word of God for the priests in Leviticus 22 about washing. In Leviticus 22, I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to jump down to verses 6 and 7 for the sake of time. Leviticus 22, 1 through 3. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel. By the way, um, who's Aaron? That's Moses' brother. And who descended from Aaron? All the priests, the Levites. So you're to speak to Aaron and all his sons, these are the Levites, the priests, that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. Say to them, if anyone of all of your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Jump down to verse 6. The person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening and shall not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water. When the sun goes down, he shall be clean and afterward he may eat of the holy things because they are his food. So here we see that there's an instruction in God's law that the priests had to wash before they ate the holy things. But there's no instruction for anyone else about washing before you eat. I know some of you moms are like, man, I thought I had a scripture that I could just use on my kid that he has to wash before he eats because the scripture says no. And I've heard too many moms talk about the fact that when Jesus rose from the dead, that the, they went in and they saw that the tomb was empty and that the cloth was folded up there. And I've heard many moms say to their kids, Jesus made his bed when he rose from the dead that day. Now, be careful of starting your own traditions because of taking scripture out of out of place. So there was no so there was no instruction from from the law of God about hand washing for the regular folks, just for the priests. Now, the oral tradition about hand washing, though, was not about hygiene. If you actually do a study and you find out what the Mishnah taught and what the oral tradition was that they accused Jesus' disciples of breaking, they're eating with unwashed hands. It wasn't about hygiene. 
It wasn't that their hands were dirty and needed soap. It was more about a ceremonial type of washing. And you're going to see it was an outward type of a washing. And actually what they would do, the ceremonial washing, and the Pharisees were real good at doing this to so make sure everybody saw it, is they would have their, hold their hands like this with their fingers up. And somebody would take a pitcher and pour water over their fingers while their fingers were up and over their hands. And the water would drip out this way. Once they'd done that, then they would turn their hands over and they'd pour more water for the water while their fingers are down for the water to drip off that way. And then they would take their fist and twist it into each hand. And that was how they cleansed themselves from the filth of the world that was around them, especially because they were living among Gentiles. And now they were able to eat. They were clean. They did this to make themselves, quote unquote, holy if they came from the marketplace and might have touched something that had, quote unquote, defiled them. Go back to Mark chapter 7. Look again at verses 1 through 6. Maybe now what's here in Mark 7 makes a little more sense when you see what the tradition of the elders was. Mark chapter 7, look at verses 1 through 6. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And by the way, um, the, if you look at the Greek where it talks about that, it actually talks about having done it when it talks about having done it properly. In the Greek, it says having twisted the fist is how it is in the Greek. Isn't that interesting? The Greek says twisted the fist. For our understanding, they said do it properly, which was what the elder tradition was. And holding tradition of the elders, verse 4, And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches even. I mean, they, they were really, really careful about making sure, especially if they came from the marketplace, because if they came from the marketplace, who had they possibly bumped into? A Gentile. And they might not be clean or they would be uh, unclean. And so they would ceremonially have these ways of ceremonially washing the pots. It didn't clean them. It just kind of poured water over them. But it let everybody know I'm clean, you know, because I've done these outward act. Keep that in your mind, by the way. Keep that in your mind, because what I just said to you is this. There are those who thought they were clean because they did this outward act. They taught that if anyone ate without this type of ceremonial washing, they and what they touched and what they ate were defiled. And they had defiled themselves even more by eating that defiled food because they had touched it with their defiled hands. Now, Jesus, in response to their questioning his holiness and his disciples holiness in comparison to theirs, calls these religious leaders hypocrites. I want you to catch what I just said there again. When they accused Jesus' disciples of washing with unwashed or eating with unwashed hands, they were saying, your disciples are breaking the tradition of the elders. They're defiled. And in essence, so are you, Jesus, because you being their master and their teacher must be either approving of it or teaching them that it's OK. And they were actually saying, you're not as holy as you think you are. We're more holy than you. So what does Jesus say? You hypocrites. I want you to see it. Don't take my word for it. Here in Mark, you're already in Mark. Look at verses 6 through 8. 
And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? And then he quotes from Isaiah. We'll get to that in just a second. Look back at Matthew 15. Look at verses 7 through 9. Matthew 15, starting in verse 7, Jesus says, You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, These people honor me with their lips, their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And what Jesus does, not only does he call them religious phonies. By the way, you're going to see later on the disciples come and say to Jesus, What? Don't you realize what you said offended the Pharisees? Remember we read that? Don't you realize what you said offended the Pharisees? And we're not going to have time tonight to get into the fact that Jesus says, Let them go. They're blind leaders of the blind. And by the way, when a blind person leads a blind person, they'll both fall in the ditch. We won't have time tonight to get into that. I'll come back to that later in our study of Matthew because there'll be a time that it'll actually be beneficial for us to be reminded of that conversation. But for tonight, let me just remind you that we saw here that Jesus said something that offended the Pharisees in front of all these people because the Pharisees were saying in front of all these people, we're holy, you're not. Jesus said, actually, you're a hypocrite. You're a religious phony. You're a religious phony. And then he said two things to them. He points out two things. Here's the first thing. He said, Isaiah's prophecy about you guys was spot on. He says, Isaiah's prophecy about you was spot on. And the second thing he said was this. He shows them that they were rejecting the commandments of God in order to follow the traditions of men. Go back with me to Isaiah 29. This is where he's quoting from. Isaiah 29, verse 13. If I were to say to you that Isaiah prophesied about you, would you get a little excited? <laughs> you have mixed emotions now, don't you? There's a side of you that says, Isaiah spoke about me? And then you get there and you go, oh, I, I don't know if I like that. Isaiah 29, look at verse 13. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is simply a commandment taught by men. Jesus paraphrases it, or quotes it probably, in the, this is, he quotes from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And if you look at the Septuagint, what Jesus says here, both in Matthew and in Mark, is a word-for-word -word translation, or quote, from the Septuagint. So Jesus was probably quoting from the, the version they had in front of them, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And he quotes it word for word, and he says this, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What had the Pharisees done? What had the scribes done? They had taken the word of God, and they said, Okay, we know what God's word says. Now, we'll tell you what that means and how you're to live it out. And they wrote down hundreds of other laws, which became religious traditions. And now all of a sudden, instead of the people striving to be obedient to the law and the word of God, what are they trying to live up to? The commandments of men and the traditions of the religious leaders. Folks, be, be, stick with me here. You're going to find that is carried over into the church more than you would ever believe. But in pointing these things out, Jesus gives them an example. The oral tradition passed down from the elders and not in the Bible, stated that if anyone declared that their money or their possessions were Corban, which means given to God or dedicated to God, 
then those possessions or money could only be used in service to God. That's one of their, their traditions, that a, a child could say, um, what I have here, I'm going to dedicate it all to the Lord. That doesn't mean that they would actually give it to God, but it was dedicated to God. And therefore, since it was dedicated to God, they couldn't give it to their folks. You see, as you know, in the way things were in society and then the families were responsible for taking care of each other, were they not? Women had not much of a, a power or, or, or prestige, and so they were being taken care of by their husbands and sometimes their sons. And as people got older, the children would take care of them. I don't have time to take you back into Timothy, where Paul clearly says to the early church, if, if there's a widow in the church that has a need, the family should meet that need. Don't expect the church to meet that need. The family member should meet that need. And if any believer doesn't take care of their own family, treat them like an unbeliever, because the church's responsibility was to continue what God's word had said, which we're going to get to, that the people that are closest to them are to be taking care of them. But what they had done was, as happens typically in some families, so there might be even some people here in this room who have some kids that you're estranged from because they've gotten mad at you for whatever reason. And what the kids would do religiously because of the tradition of the elders is they would say, I've given everything that I have in dedication to God. I now declare it Corbin. It only can be used for God. Mom, Dad, I love you, tongue-in-cheek, sarcastically. Mom, Dad, I love you, but I can't help you. This has been given to God. And because of that, there were many who were using the tradition of the elders to break the law of God. Go back to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we're going to look at verse 12, and then we're going to go to chapter 21, verse 17. Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 12. You're going to see why I take you to these two verses real quickly. Exodus 20, verse 12 says this, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Go to chapter 21, look at verse 17. It says, Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Another word for the Hebrew that's translated here, curses, could be also dishonors or reviles. Now go back with me to Matthew 15 and look at verses 3 through 6. And you'll understand where Jesus is coming from. In Matthew 15, verses 3 through 6, and he said, And he answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. Where's that, by the way? Exodus where? 2012, Exodus 2012, said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Where's that? 2117. See, you guys are becoming Bible scholars already. <laughs> whoever reviles father and mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father or his mother. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Go to Mark. Look at verses, chapter 7, verses 9 through 13. And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, sorry, I started in verse 6, sorry. And he said, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart's far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. And you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. 
And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Don't miss the end of this verse. Don't miss it. And many such things you do. Notice how Jesus adds that they not only did it in this one instance that he's telling them about, they did it in many instances. Folks, we're going to go there now. We too must be careful because we too, over the years, have taken principles from the word of God and we extrapolate from them and make man-made rules which become traditions and then we judge each other's quote-unquote holiness by whether or not they keep those traditions. I'm going to mention two. I could take longer. I've been in ministry for almost 40 years now. I, uh, um, I could take a long time and show you many more. But I think God only wants me to deal with two tonight. And I want you to know some of you are going to have a problem with me, even these two that I bring out. We're going to deal with that at the end of the study. So hold your anger and don't blow up at me until we get to the end. As we have seen, God did say that the priests were to wash if they touched anything unclean before they ate. Wouldn't it just make sense that if everyone washed before eating, it would keep them too from becoming unclean? This is the mindset that I want you to understand where our traditions today came from. The law of God said that the priests were to wash before they touched anything holy. Wouldn't it just make sense to just say, let's just make everybody do that? I mean, come on, that's a good thing. Let's do that. I mean, if you really love the Lord, if you want to be, well, the Bible says we're priests. And this is where that mindset comes, where you take a truth from the word of God and you say, well, wouldn't it make sense to? And many times we've done this. Let me give you an example. I've seen us do this with our religious rules of what, what, about what can be brought into or worn in the sanctuary. Many of you have grown up in the era where that room where you had the worship service was the sanctuary. Have you heard me say, that's where God is? Right? Go with me to Acts chapter 17. Go to Acts chapter 17. Look at verse 24. Paul speaking to the Areopagus on Mars Hill. He's trying to explain to them who the real God is because they've got idols to all these different gods. And they've even made one to the unknown God in case they missed him. And in verse 24, Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Pretty clear, isn't it? But Jim, don't you remember in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came to indwell the tabernacle, and, and, and then, then in the temple, the Spirit of God came and indwelled the temple of God. Yeah, that's true. But have you forgotten that at the moment that Jesus died on the cross, what happened to that veil that separated everybody from the presence of God? It was torn from the top to the bottom. Man didn't do it. God did, and he's opened the way. And in Acts chapter 2, that same pillar of fire that we see above the tabernacle comes into the upper room and separates into 
individual pillars of fire. They looked like tongues and they stepped on top of the heads of each of the people and the Holy Spirit. Just like in the Old Testament, God signified his spirit coming to indwell the tabernacle with the pillar of fire. He put a pillar of fire over the head of each of the believers in the upper room as his spirit came to indwell the believers. And now where is the temple of God? Right here in us. It's not in that room. That's not the temple of God. That's not God's room or God's house. The church building is a place that God has blessed us with to meet. But what we've done is we've taken a biblical principle and a biblical truth and we said, well, wouldn't you just, it, wouldn't people treat God better if we had a special place where you could go and you could have reverence and that way we don't do. And without realizing it, we use human reasoning and we make up traditions and all of a sudden we determine what can be worn in there, what can be brought in there to drink? And how do we treat each other in the process? We ignore a whole lot of other God's laws that talk about loving one another. Go with me to James chapter 2. Listen to James chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions, distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Some of you have grown up in the church where the church decides what is appropriate dress and what's not appropriate dress, whether or not you have to wear a tie or a coat. And some of you ladies have been taught whether or not you could wear pants or a hat. The Bible actually doesn't say anything about that. Actually, go with me to Second Peter, or sorry, First Peter chapter 3. The Bible actually says, talking to women, but it's a good instruction that we can see applies to all of us, that actually... We shouldn't be worried about how we look on our clothing as much as what's going on in our hearts and our spirits. First Peter chapter three, look at verses three through four. First Peter three, verses three through four. Speaking to the women, he says, don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But your, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, by the way, some of you probably grew up in a church where preachers use this passage to say women can't braid their hair, can't wear gold jewelry. You ever been there? If they're going to go there, they have to say the women have to show up with no clothes. That's what it says. Don't let your adorning be the sorry. Don't don't let your adorning be external. The braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Isn't that interesting? 
They'll say, hey, the scripture says they shouldn't dress up and braid their hair. They shouldn't wear gold jewelry. Well, then you've got to take it the rest of the way and say they have to show up naked. Of course, that would probably increase attendance, but we're not doing that. What I want you to hear, though, is this. The scripture says that actually what God's looking at is not what you're wearing when you show up. And we shouldn't be making distinctions amongst people according to what they wear. But let me tell you, folks, that has been not only the attitude of the church. We've been just like the Pharisees and hypocritical for years where we have been judging everybody else's religiousness or their holiness according to whether or not they, they, we think they're keeping the traditions that have been set by men that aren't in the word of God. And I'm just going to leave it at that and ask you to let the spirit of God begin to work on you in some of these areas. Is what you're holding on to what I've always been taught or is it in the word of God? Well, that's just the way I was raised. Is it in the word of God? You're holding on to the tradition of your elders and you worship God in vain. When you honor him with your lips. But your heart's far from him because you're more interested in following the traditions or the commandments of men instead of the spirit of God. If you're still mad at me, stick around. We're going to deal with that. Jesus then goes on in chapter 15 and clarifies what actually defiles someone. Go to Matthew 15. Look at verses 10 through 20. Matthew 15 verses 10 through 20. And he called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain to the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone. Jump over to Mark 7, verses 14 through 23. Mark repeats almost word for word what we have here, but he brings something else out that's just kind of interesting. Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Look at the rest of this verse. Thus he declared all foods clean. Now I want to, I'm not going to ask, well, I'll do it. Show of hands. How many of you have been told by the preacher years ago, or maybe even recently, that in Acts chapter 10, when Peter has the vision of the sheet come down, and he says, oh Lord, I, I would never touch any, when God says, arise, kill, and eat, and they're all the things that were unclean in the Old Testament. How many of you have been taught that that's when God declared all, everything clean? When God says, what I call clean, don't you call unclean? Show of hands. You ever heard the preacher say that? When Jesus says to Peter, don't call what I've called clean, unclean, He'd already called it clean back here in Mark chapter 7. Peter just hadn't caught on yet. When he says, whatever 
comes from the outside into you cannot defile you. He declared all foods clean. Well, why in the Old Testament? We don't have time to get into all that. That's too much of a study. Let me just say the short version is this. God knew stuff about germs that they didn't know about back in that day. Let me just say, you know how the the, the scripture says, the Old Testament law says that a male child was to be circumcised on the eighth day? Folks, you go talk to any doctor, scientist that knows this stuff, especially that study blood, you'll find that every child when they're born has a certain level of their clotting factor. And it starts at a certain level on the day they're born and it grows to its highest level. Anybody want to take a guess on what day the highest level clotting is? The eighth day of their life is the highest. And then it just a little slowly decreases from that point on. Do You know how the law said that they weren't, if they touched a dead body, they were to be unclean and they weren't able to have any contact with anybody else. Well, that's because God knew about things like the Black Plague and things like that. And back in the day when those people were dying because of the disease and the doctors were working without rubber gloves and they would work on a dead body and then go work on a living body and they kept passing it around. God had reasons for why he would say for this season, I want you to stay away from this. Don't eat this kind of a thing. But he had his purposes. But at this point, he comes and he says, you can eat it all. You can eat it all. If what truly defiles us comes from within us, why do we think that we can clean ourselves or others by following a set of man-made rules that only deal with outside actions? Let me ask you that question again. If what truly defiles us comes from inside, why do we think that we can clean ourselves or others by following a set of man-made rules that only deal with outside actions? Because it has been taught from the pulpit. For years, by the way, I'll just let you know, I'm not a coffee drinker. I have never been a coffee drinker, and a lot of people love coffee. And wherever I travel, the pastor, I'll be at their house, like we were this weekend, and they'll say, hey, would you like some coffee? And I always jokingly say, no thanks, I'm a Christian. (laughs) And uh, they're like, is it wrong to drink coffee? I'm like, no, read your Bible, pastor. It's okay to drink coffee. I was making a joke. Actually, I drink Diet Coke, and my wife says when I die, they won't even have to embalm me because I've drank so much Diet Coke. And when my wife says, that's going to kill you. No, it doesn't matter. What goes in is not defiling me. It's what's inside. Now, but look at Colossians chapter 2. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 16 through 23. You're going to see something jump out of here that, oh, I didn't even bring it up in our list of our traditions. And it's going to surprise some of you. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 16 through 23. Paul says, therefore, Colossians 2 verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a what? Or a Sabbath day. Oh, buddy. How many of us were taught that Sunday was the Sabbath and you can't eat out, you can't play ball, you can't... Almost all of us, weren't we? That's not what the scripture taught. Scripture never said that. That was the tradition taught by man. Keep reading. The New Testament even said, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. But let no one disqualify you. By the way, some of you are saying, hang on, Jim, hang on. Now. I can't go forward. I know the Old Testament said that the Jews were not allowed to work on that day. And that means it carried over to us. No, actually do a full study of the Sabbath. And you'll find that God told the nation of Israel way back that the Sabbath was something that he set up as a sign between him and the rest of the world. He was going to use them as his witness. And the Sabbath was for the nation of Israel. Back to chapter 2, verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. That means not doing certain things and not eating certain things. And worship of angels going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Before I go any further, there's a movement around here. There's a movement around the country that Christians are following where they're trying to make Christians go back to the Old Testament law and keep the law of Moses. They have their cookbooks. They have all their requirements because they think that the Christians should be following the law of Moses. The Bible says, watch out for the people that say you can't eat this and you can't eat that. Look at verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Does that sound familiar? According to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Folks, if your problem is on the inside, all your outward actions aren't going to fix it. You've got to have God come in and do a work on the inside. I'm going to ask you a question. Well, before I do, let me just say this. This is why Jesus called the Pharisees not only hip hypocrites, he called them whitewashed Tombs. Go to Matthew 23. Go to Matthew 23. By the way, let me just say this as you're turning to Matthew 23. But that's probably why a lot of people over the years have been to church and don't want to go to church anymore. Is because most of what they heard in the church was not the word of God, but man-made rules and man-made traditions. And they tried to keep it, and it didn't make a difference, and it hurt them, and they got disgusted and turned away from God because of man's religion. Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. Satan's religion. I mean, yeah, you're right. Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes! And Pharisees, there it is again, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within they're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, I need to speak to you tonight. Does this apply to you? You may fool other people, but you can't fool God. Pharisees fooled many people, but not God. Judas even fooled the rest of the disciples, but not Jesus. Folks, if you're under conviction today, if you're here in the study or listening online, please hear this. If you're under conviction right now, the Spirit of God's showing you that you're kind of a whitewashed tomb. You, you try to put on a pretty front for the outside, but inwardly you know the things that are going on, the things that you're doing. If you're being convicted right now, it's because God loves you. And He wants you to repent. If He didn't care, He wouldn't be convicting you right now. Listen to Revelation chapter 3. Go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Writing to the church, especially the church in the last days, 
Those whom I love, I rebuke and reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Folks, all of us in some way or another have a tendency sometimes to put on a show for the people around us. I'm talking right now to those of you that the Spirit of God is showing you that you're not really saved. That your Christianity, your religion has just been an outward thing, but it's not inward. And you today say, Lord, I need a Savior. I am dark on the inside. I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. I've tried to be a good Christian. I've tried to do the right things. I thought that I could get to heaven by being good enough. And today I realize I can't. There's no outward action I can do that's going to clean me on the inside. You need to do it. Father, make me clean. Jesus lived the sinless life. Jesus kept the law. You punished him instead of me. He rose from the dead and I believe that he's alive and I give my life to Lord Jesus today. Wash me new. And folks, from that point, the Bible says he washes you from the inside out. And the outside will start to make, people will start to see a difference as you have the cleaning from the inside. But listen, I want to talk to you Christians. I know in a room this size, there's most of you here on a Tuesday night are believers in Jesus. There are times, though, that even though we've been washed, even though we've been made clean, we kind of get our feet dirty, don't we, a few times? All of us who are Christians, and don't let anybody sit here and say, well, I don't wrestle with those things anymore. I've been made new. Oh, if anybody says that they don't sin still, they're lying to you, the Bible says in 1 John. But the good news is, is that same offer, as if you'll, he's knocking on the door, he hadn't left, but we've kind of pushed him away. He'll come and wash us clean. We've already seen this over the last few weeks in James chapter 4. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. God will do a work as you just simply say, yeah, I've been kind of playing the hypocrite for a while. Lord, I'm back. Wash me clean from the inside. Now we're going to deal with those of you that are mad at me because I mentioned some of your favorite traditions. As we wrap up tonight, I'd like to take you a little bit deeper in what God's Word says about this matter. When it comes to differing opinions in the church as to some of the traditions, we must first remember that whichever side we end up on, loving our brother or our sister in Christ is more important than our knowledge. There are going to be times that Christians don't see it the same way. I'm going to show you that to you in the Word of God. The Word of God says there's going to be some Christians that see it this way and other Christians that see the same thing in a different way. That's going to happen. But the moment that you start to tear your brother or sister down because of how you think it ought to be and how you think they ought to be living or how they ought to dress or how they ought to not dress, the moment you start tearing your brother down, your knowledge is wasted. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verses 1 through 3. First Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. Paul says this, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have any love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. By the way, if there's any preacher out there that tells you he totally understands everything when it comes to the Bible, run away from him because he's a false teacher. This is hyperbole. But if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith to remove mountains, but I don't have love? I'm nothing. Then he goes on and says, if I give away all I have and deliver my body to the be burned, 
but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Folks, there are going to be times that you don't see it the same way someone else does. How you treat that other person will show whether or not the Spirit of God is in control. Or whether or not you're more interested in winning the argument. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 says this, The Lord's servant must not quarrel. 1 Timothy 2, 24, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must gently instruct in the hopes that God will bring them to an understanding and repentance. In Philippians chapter 3, it's around verse 15 or 16. I'm going off of Spirit bringing passages to my mind right now. But in Philippians chapter 3, around verses 15 or 16, Paul says, And if in any point you see things differently, may the Lord bring you to that understanding. May the Lord bring you to that understanding. Go to Romans chapter 14. Look at verses 1 through 12. Paul says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. How many times have Christians invited their brother or sister over for, di- for a meal, only to sit them down and show them where they were wrong? Man, I've had that happen to me so many times. Pastor, could we have you over for dinner? We just have never had you over for dinner. Sure, I like food. Let's go. And then the whole time they had, there was an agenda that they were going to show me how I was wrong and they were right. Don't welcome him to quarrel over opinions. Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything. Didn't Jesus just say that we can? While the weak person eats only vegetables. See, because back at this time, there was meat being sold in the marketplaces, and a lot of that meat was being offered to idols, and once it had been offered to idols, they took it to the market and sold it cheaper. Being good Walmart shoppers, a lot of Christians said, you know what, there's meat that hasn't been cooked, and I'll have to prepare it, and it costs more. Here's my meat that has already been cooked. It's been offered an altar to an idol, but it's already cooked. I'm ready to go, and that's cheaper. Let's get it. Paul even said as he's dealing with this issue, you and I know it's been offered to the wind But as you keep reading, he'll then say, but if your eating is going to give your brother a problem, don't do it. Folks, I just touched on the fact that clothing and what we wear on Sunday isn't as big a deal as we've made it. As you know, those of you who have known me for years, I'm famous for preaching in my sandals. I have yet to ever wear sandals on a Sunday morning. Not because it's wrong, but it's because I want the people hearing what I have to say from God And there are going to be those who, even though I could win the argument in the scriptures, it would so throw them off that I'd be standing up on the stage and they looking at my toes, especially the one that's black because I dropped something on it, (laughs) that they wouldn't hear what I had to say. And for the sake of my weaker brothers and sisters, I don't wear sandals on Sunday morning when I preach. Now, am I to say that anybody that does is wrong and they need to be like me? No. Keep reading. Let not the one who eats everything despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Look at verse 4, one of my favorite verses in all scripture. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Folks, once I realized that it wasn't my job to get you all fixed, I started to enjoy my life. 
Because you know what? The same God that began a good work in me and is going to finish it is the same God that's going to finish his good work in you. My job is just to live it, preach it, let the Lord take it from there. Stop making it your personal agenda to get everybody to see things the way you do. There are going to be many people that don't see things the way you do, even the preacher, and don't think for a second, well, I'm better than them. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. That, listen, he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment? On your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. If you've got a situation that you say, Jim, I don't know if I agree with you. That's fine. You, but you, I don't want to cause you to do something that you think is sin. The Bible says, if you think it's sin, I'm about to show you that to you. If you think it's sin and I tell you to do it, I'm sinning by telling you to do something you think is sin. Because you're trying to live to follow the Lord. My thing is simply this. In these areas that you think you're following the Lord, stop saying that your brother or sister isn't if they don't see it the same way. Why? Because if one of us is wrong in this area, who's going to get us there? The Lord, the Holy Spirit. Go chapter 14, verses 17 through 23. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for what? For peace and for mutual what? Upbuilding. If you got a person in your church that thinks they'd be sinning if they showed up to church on Sunday without a tie, make sure you go up there and tell them how much you love that tie. If you're not a tie person, go up there and say, you know what, I'm not being sarcastic. I think I love how you look. You look good. And if you're one of these people that thinks that it's wrong for someone to show up in church without a tie, you go over to the person that's not wearing a tie and you tell them how good they look. Because you know what? I'm doing what I'm doing to the Lord. And they're doing what they're doing to the Lord. And if that needs to be changed, I'm wrong or they're wrong. God's going to take care of that. And he will. Because I'm more interested in loving my brother and my sister. And if in some areas they see it different, God will bring them to understanding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is indeed clean. But it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, wow, I don't think it can get any more clear than this, can it? Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whatever, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. When I was younger, 
as a preacher, I used to think that Christians were always, if they were really walking with the Lord, we're all going to see things the same way. And as a young preacher, I remember preaching at First Baptist in Atlantic here as a youth pastor back in 1988. And I literally said this. You guys might even remember it. You weren't here then? All right. I just think you guys have been here since the building started. So I just, I just assumed you've been here that long. But in 1988, I preached a sermon, and this is what I said. I said, if you have the same Holy Spirit in you as I have in me, we will always see things 100% the same way. Sounded good. It made sense in my mind, but it didn't match the Word of God. But the more I studied, the more I realized that the Bible says we're all going to be growing at different levels and different walks. And God has a plan for some and a different plan for others. And some people, he's going to have them live in a certain way that he would not have this other person live. And he says to Peter, you just live the life I have for you. And John, you live the life I have for you. And you're to stop looking at each other. And there are going to be times we don't see things the same way. But what did Jesus say in John 13, 35? He said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, my followers, by your what? By your love for one another. And then one year, the World Series was between, and I don't remember what year it was anymore. Some of you that are sports people and baseball people probably remember more than me. The World Series was between the New York Yankees and the New York Mets. And God gave me a picture Imagine yourself, because that was what they called the Subway Series. You remember the Subway Series between the two teams? Imagine sitting on the subway in New York City and seeing two best friends sitting on the subway, laughing with each other, joking with each other, hugging on each other, but one's wearing a Yankees uniform and the other one's wearing a Mets uniform. But as you sat there and watched them, you'd say, something's wrong here. These two people do not see things the same way. If you ask the Mets guy... What's the better team, the Mets or the Yankees? He say the Mets are the best team. We don't even know how the Yankees made it to the World Series. They don't, they stink. And you ask the Yankee guy, huh? Which is the better team? He say, of course it's the Yankees. The Mets are a farm team. They shouldn't even be in the major leagues, let alone in the World Series. But then you sit there watching two people that don't see this the same way. How can you love each other? They love what? They love baseball. And they love each other because of baseball. It has brought them together, even though they don't exactly see things the same way. And Jesus says, when the world out there knows that you different denominations in Christians don't all see things the same way, but you love with each other. And as long as they're preaching the gospel, you partner, the world's going to say, how come they don't see things exactly the same way? But they love each other. They must love Jesus. I love you. We'll see you in a month.